What's up, guys? My name's JT. I'm a fuck up. <laughs> um, I like to identify as that because really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter uh, who you are, what you are, where you're from, um, what you use and how you use it. Uh, we all ended up here. You know, um, you know, I usually choose to identify as an alcoholic, uh, like Kai said, because, you know, I work that other program. You know, um, that's just what I was raised in. Um, really, at the beginning, I had um, someone in my sponsorship family saying, uh, if you were to buy drugs from the dope man, how do you want your dope? Do you want it cut or do you want it pure? I'm like, well, fuck yeah, I want the pure shit. You know what I mean? He's like, well, then you should go for the same for your recovery. My overall idea about it now is treat it the same way you would a sickness. You know what I mean? Any resource that you have, take it. You know what I mean? If you have cancer, you're going to go for chemo. You're going to go for radiation. You're going to go for any sort of medication. Anything that's going to help you at the end of the day is going to help you. So power to you, whatever you, whatever you do. You know what I mean? Um, I have a sobriety date of December 27th, 2017. Um, that's the day that I finally decided and realized that my ideas do not work. Anything that I put my hands in just turns to shit. Um, and I'm really good at turning things into shit. You know what I mean? Um, just a little bit about me. I'm from uh, the other side of the county. You know, I'm from like Anaheim Orange area. And I always feel weird crossing that Irvine border down here. You know what I mean? On the way here, I was talking uh, to a couple of my buddies about uh, just that random disdain between North and South County. You know what I mean? But uh, it's, it, it is what it is. You know, I have uh, a lot of fun stories about being down here. And, uh, you know, I've had some run-ins with the uh, South County police. But anyway, that's like I said, a story for another time. Um, so yeah, from uh, North Orange County, um, parents are still married after what, 38 years now. So like that's mind blowing in, in my idea. You know what I mean? I have an older brother, perfect life, married, three beautiful children, has the job, has the car, has the house, and then there's me. Um, you know, uh, if you would have put money down at when I was a kid, when me and my brother were both kids, uh, you would have probably bet that my brother was the one who would be sitting up here, not me, you know, but this disease is cutting, baffling and powerful, you know, um, growing up, I was always that kid who was super like far too smart for his own damn good. You know, uh, one of my favorite things to say as a kid was, well, actually incorrect you, you know, because, uh, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I know more than you? Don't you know that I'm smarter and better? And you know, it's, it's lonely on that mountaintop. You know what I mean? Um, come to find out I'm actually not as good as I think I am, you know, uh, thank you sponsor. Anyway, um, so growing up, super smart kid, um, was able to go through, uh, you know, um, high school, junior high and all of that with, with honors, you know, um, I'm a musician, I have been my whole life, I played 10 different instruments, I went to school for classical piano, yada, yada, you know. Um, when I was uh, about 13, uh, actually rewind a little bit. Um, when I was about 11, my brother was six years older than me. He started having like those college parties and stuff. So he always told me, mom and dad are out of town. You keep your mouth shut. You can party with the big boys. And I remember that very first drink that I had, you know, that screwdriver that was mostly clear with like, you know, an eyedropper worth of orange juice, you know? And I remember coming back up to my brother about 10 minutes later, like swaying, holding that glass and like, this orange juice tastes funny. You know what I mean? Um, but I mean, all of his friends, they wanted to hang out with the 11 year old that was getting plastered. You know what I mean? They were all bringing me extra drinks. And I thought, cool, you know, everyone likes me. All of these people who are in high school and college, they like this 11 year old kid. You know, I never really liked me, which is one of the reasons why I got to show you how good I am. You know, one of the reasons why I have to tell you and correct you and show you just how big of an ego I actually have, because on the inside, that ego is just covering up that low self-esteem. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, when I was 13, me and my older brother started a band together. Uh, you know, it's 
the early 2000s and it's Orange County. So it's a ska punk rock band, you know, no judgments. Um, I'm playing trombone, backup vocals and keyboard. And, uh, you know, we're playing um, different shows like clubs, bars, uh, you know, 21 and over venues, um, which is nowhere where a 13 year old boy should be, you know. Um, once you're in that, uh, once you're in that venue, they don't card you at the bar. So I'm just like off and running with my drinking, you know. Um, I remember being uh, behind the back of the Riverside Brewing Company. I was 14 years old, puking my guts out. And one of my brother's buddies patted me on the back being like, don't worry, man, going to junior high the next day hungover. That's the punk rock life. And I remember thinking to myself, fuck, yeah, I'm punk rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just that, that feeling of acceptance. Again, that feeling of like uh, being a part of being uh, better than I actually felt on the inside. That was what I was searching for that whole time. Um, fast forward a couple of years, like I said, I was able to work my way through junior high and high school, graduate with honors. I was accepted into a, a private university on a scholarship. I majored in classical piano and music education, minored in biblical theology. I set uh, some, some records at that school. I was the only freshman in the history of the university being named uh, Musician of the Year. Um, I finished my freshman year with a 3.9 GPA. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying any of this to brag. Like I said, this disease is kind of baffling and powerful. You cannot be you know, too dumb for this program, but you sure as hell can be too smart, you know, and that was my issue. Um, around like towards the end of uh, my, my first year, um, again, I'm majoring in classical piano. Um, I remember sitting down at a piano trying to practice for uh, one of my performances and I couldn't sit down for like longer than five minutes without bursting into tears because my back hurts so bad. Um, I go to the doctor, they do some tests, you know, MRIs, x-rays, the whole nine. Um, come to find out I have a degenerative spine disease. You know, a doctor says there's pretty much nothing we can do for you. It's just going to get worse. You're too young to have surgery or anything. And even if you weren't too young, I don't want to risk it because of the amount of degeneration. Uh, here's a script of Norco's. Thank you. Have a nice day. So I was off and running with that, you know, 18 years old, finally had that first opiate prescription, uh, found out about two days into having that you crush up those pills and snort them. They work a whole lot better, you know, um, was working my way through a 30 day prescription in two days. Um, finally, you know, because of that intelligence, that manipulation skill that I was able to develop with that intelligence, you know, I was uh, able to convince my doctor that these meds weren't working. And the way that they weren't working is because I wasn't being able to get the, that desired effect anymore. Um, so before I know it, within about a year of that first prescription, I'm on a super high dose of Opana, um, which, you know, at 19 years old is pretty gnarly, you know, um, eventually I'm getting through that 30 day prescription in about two, three days. Um, I'm still at this time, you know, able to live successfully. You know, at that time, I'm still carrying down my schooling. I'm working two jobs. I'm volunteering at a church. I'm teaching at a high school and still somehow maintaining a social life because I thought if I could keep doing all of these things, that gives me an excuse to keep using any way that I desire. If you have anything to say about my using, fuck you, because look at everything else that I'm doing. So it didn't last for very long. As time progressed, my, my disease slowly took over. You know, my priorities started to get warped and over time, my, uh, um, my tolerance went up, my, uh, my care for other things, these things that I'd worked so hard for in my life before, this started becoming less important. I remember um, skipping class because I was still waiting for that, uh, that phone call from my dealer, you know? Um, because at this point in time, you know, I'm using so much of my medication that of course I have to supplement with, with heroin, you know, don't you know? I'm in pain. I'm entitled to this heroin because I'm not an addict, I'm a dependent. There's a medical difference, don't you know? Read the DSM-5. 
And again, this is just my ego, my intelligence that's trying to take over and tell me that I have a justification for my using. Um, eventually, like I said, all these things started to disappear in my life. You know, uh, over time, uh, I eventually got kicked out of school, surprise, about a semester before I graduated with that bachelor's too, it really sucks. Um, over time, I wasn't able to keep a job down, um, wasn't allowed to come back to that high school anymore. Uh, literally stood up in the middle of the congregation at, at church and told them all to go fuck themselves and walked out. Don't really go back there a whole lot. <laughs> so, I mean, just uh, over time, you know, all of these things started to change in my life. Um, before I know it, I'm about 25, 26 years old and I have absolutely nothing going for me, um, except for the fact that I still think I'm the shit, you know, because don't you know who I am? Um, but it's still at this point, like I'm doing anything and everything I can just for a bag and a place to stay. You know, I tell that to my sponsees all the time, the things I've done for a bag and a place to stay, because I wasn't above doing anything. And I mean, anything, you know what I mean? I was totally that guy who'd go to the creepiest motherfucker in downtown Santa Ana and give some head for a sack. You know what I mean? Like that was me. <laughs> um, so eventually, you know, as time progressed, I am that crazy homeless junkie that I swore to myself I would never become. You know, um, I'm fighting off raccoons for territory underneath railroad tracks, you know? Um, I'm pretty much trying to couch surf as much as I can, but no one wants me in their house. No one wants to be around me or anything, you know? Um, finally, I, I uh, met that spiritual bottom that we, that we talk about so much in, in the program. You know, his name was Tyler. It's a gay joke. Um, anyway. <laughs> So uh, we were running and gunning on the streets together. <laughs> um, again, like robbing people, robbing places, doing whatever we needed to do in order to, in order to uh, you know, satisfy our own using. So uh, eventually, you know, summer passes. I always thought to myself growing up, especially once I got into my disease, I wouldn't live, to, uh, I wouldn't live past the age of 27. I wanted to be one of those people in the 27 club, you know? And then I turned 28 and I thought to myself, well, if I die now, it's just fucking lame, you know? <laughs> So uh, I turned 28 in November of 2017, but I can't stop. Um, I actually tried to stop right at my birthday because, you know, this is lame now. You know, I'm not having fun anymore. This is just full time job. Um, I get about three days just white knuckling it before I think to myself, well, I'm over my kick. I could do a line of oxy, you know, um, and all of a sudden I'm back at the dealer's house doing heroin again, you know, uh, Time progressed a little bit. Eventually, like I said, like I'm, I'm outside, it's starting to get cold and everything. And I, I'm not built for outside, you know, <laughs> like, don't you know me? I deserve that, you know, feather king size bed, you know? Um, finally, it gets uh, to the point to where uh, homeboy looks at me and says, you know, like we're not doing ourselves any favor. I got a car that's waiting for me to take me into a treatment program. Uh, so you should probably do the same thing. I'll call you when I get out. So I think to myself, you know, well, fuck this guy, you know, <laughs> like, what is, what is he going to make me stop for? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I felt bad for myself for about two days. I uh, kept using for those two days. And finally, when I didn't have any more options, I did what every good uh, addict in my position likes to do. I show up at mommy and daddy's house. You know, um, I remember that day too. I stood on their front porch, knocked. And right as my mom was opening the door, I took a step back and literally fell off their front porch. She let me take a shower and I fell down three times in the shower because I was just so fucked off. Um, and that still wasn't even my wake up call. Um, I slept for about two days straight before finally I woke up to my dad, like shaking me saying, uh, here's the phone. You need to start calling around looking for places. So I did it just to get them off my ass. You know what I mean? Um, finally, they said, okay, if you don't find a place by the end of the day, 
then um, you can't stay here. So I looked a little bit harder after that, you know, just for that place to stay. Um, I ended up finding a place in uh, Stanton, California, the beautiful city of Stanton called uh, Rock Center Detox. Uh, that was the only place in California that would take me apparently. <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with this detox, it's literally a converted trailer. You know, there's three bedrooms. I think it's like 10 to a room capacity. Um, you get 24 hours to feel like shit. And then after that, it's non-medically assisted, AA 24 fucking seven. You know what I mean? Program for seven days straight. You're in someone else's pajamas and it's just do it or don't. If you're not going to do it. Don't do it somewhere else. Those are the exact words that I was told. So I do it. You know, there's all these people that are telling me that I can't while I'm there. You know, don't you know that you're fucked? I'm like, well, fuck you. I'm fucked. I'm going to show you how fucked I am. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I get through this entire, uh, these entire seven days and I'm doing great. You know, people are asking me when I'm leaving, like, what are your plans now? Are you going to move into a sober living? Are you going to try and, uh, you know, get a job? What are you trying to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Um, this is about three days before Christmas of 2017. If you uh, remember from the beginning, my sobriety date is uh, after Christmas of 2017. Um, so I go home with my parents for about three days. Uh, Christmas comes along. And I think to myself while I'm at Christmas with my family, like, you know what, like I've been working really hard. I went through detox and that was, you know, really, really difficult, you know? So I, I think that I'm entitled to a glass of wine with, uh, with Christmas dinner because I don't really drink anymore. You know, I don't really have a problem with alcohol. Um, so I had that one glass of wine, one turns into 10 and I'm like, wine's good and all, but you know, what would go really good with this wine is some meth because you know like I'm allowed to do meth because I don't really do meth you know I'm not one of those tweakers that you see like you know noodle grooving on the side of the road so like I leave Christmas dinner and go pick up a, a sack of meth and the second I start uh doing lines of that I think to myself you know go really good at this meth this is fucking heroin and like literally within six hours of that first glass of wine I'm in a baseball diamond behind my parents house getting loaded one more time I had that first moment of clarity ever what the fuck am I doing here how did I end up back here again? I was able to stop for this amount of time, but somehow I wound up back here. All of these AA people, all of these uh, you know, recovery people were telling me that I had a problem and it wasn't me, it was me and my thinking. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're doing something that I should be doing too. And not only that, most importantly, maybe it'll work for me. So uh, I sobered up a little bit you know, after I got you know, rid of that Hi, you know, um, I went to uh, my first meeting where I actually honestly identified um, and I picked up a sponsor. I moved into a sober living and I got to work. You know, I'm a weirdo around here. I'm a one and done. You know, I've only been to treatment one time and I'm not saying that there's absolutely anything wrong with relapse. It's just not a part of my story um, yet. <laughs> yeah, God willing. Um, I got to work instantly. You know, that was uh, what I was told to do. This is a program of action. Get into action. You're selfish. You're self-centered. You're not helping anyone. So who are you helping? Where's God in the situation? Fuck your feelings. Feelings aren't facts. Your thinking's the fucking problem. <laughs> Those are the exact words my sponsor would say to me on an almost daily basis. And I mean, some people might say that's a little harsh, but that's exactly what I needed to hear. You know, because it's the truth. And no one had ever told me the truth for a really long time. You know, frothy emotional appeal and all that that it talks about in the big book, it seldom suffices. And that's totally the case. Don't you know what you're doing to your, me and your mom is totally killing us? Your nieces are afraid of you. Why are you doing this? You know, you're losing everything in your life. None of that had any effect on me. But the second I start to realize that that's just a byproduct of the real problem and the real problem is me, 
that's the most humbling experience you can possibly experience that you can possibly feel, especially when you come in here with an ego that can't fit in this room. You know what I mean? So like I said, I got to work, you know, I um, started working my steps. I picked up that sponsor. Um, I moved into that sober living. I got a job. I started, uh, you know, living by the traditions, you know, that seventh tradition. Um, I was told to live by that. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. Don't you dare ask mommy and daddy for help at all. You know, go do what you need to do. Be a fucking man. So I grew up. This program gave me an opportunity to actually do that. I hadn't been a grown-up my entire life. Even when I was handling my business, I still wasn't a grown-up. As time progressed and as I started getting more time under my belt, I started to see some of the things uh, that everyone talks about. My home group likes to say life gets lifey, you know, because it really does, you know. Just because you get clean and sober doesn't mean that life's going to be all sunshine and orgasms because it rarely is. You know, life still happens. Um, about 60 days after my sobriety day, uh, you know, uh, that guy that I was with went out, disappeared for like two years. You know, I, I didn't even see him again until I went to go do a panel at a detox and he was one of the clients there which is kind of funny. Anyway, um, so I lost my train of thought. 60 days. Oh, sponsor. First sponsor relapsed on me about 90 days. Jesse remembers that. Uh, that was really intense. Not only that, but the next day, my grand sponsor, my sponsor sponsor relapsed too. I remember going to a meeting at that detox that I went through and seeing my grand sponsor checking in as a client there. Um, that was a pretty humbling experience as well. Um, anyone would see that and think that, you know, this would be that, that awakening experience of, uh, you know, maybe I should get more into action, but really at the end of the day, all it did was kind of feed that ego a little bit, you know, it brought to mind that, uh, of course this can happen to me too, but fuck them because they don't really know what they're doing. I've got this. Um, it wasn't until I actually got that second sponsor where I started working these steps thoroughly and honestly, like it asks for, you know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. I tried to live up to that as best as I could. You know, the only step that I've actually been able to work perfectly is that first one, um, because I have admitted that I'm powerless and I, my life was definitely unmanageable. Everything after that is just something that I'm aiming towards on a day-to-day -day basis. Even that third step, you know, that decision is not a one and done. It's an ongoing thing. Where am I putting my will into this situation? Where is God's will lacking? You know, am I pausing when agitated or doubtful, like it's talking about in the 10th step? Am I allowing God to work in my life or am I still trying to keep those hands that like to fuck everything up? in the whole situation. Um, it, I was able to get uh, some time together. And um, like I said, things happened. That next sponsor relapsed on me too. I was able to lose a couple jobs in sobriety. I was able to uh, walk through a couple pretty gnarly things, you know, uh, losing significant others, going through breakups, you know, um, watching people die. Um, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. No matter what I go through, you know, God's got my back. Um, I choose to call my higher power God for lack of a better term. Um, because I mean, really, I don't even know what else to call my higher power other than God or higher power, you know, um, because at the end of the day, I'm still trying to understand exactly what my higher power is. More will be revealed and all of that. You know what I mean? His, as long as I give my will over to that current conception of my higher power that I have, everything's going to be okay. As long as I have faith that everything's going to be okay, then everything will be okay. Um, you know, the real magic didn't start to happen until, uh, probably a little bit after my first year. And that's when I was able to sponsor people. Uh, being able to help people in this program, like Kai was saying, really is, is the bread and butter. You know, that's, that's where the true magic happens. Those 12 step promises in the big book, you know, those come, come to life for me on a daily basis. You know, uh, 
to see like the light come on in people's eyes when you saw just nothing but hopelessness and despair before. That's the most magical feeling that you can ever feel, especially when you see that person who was so lost go out and help someone for themselves. You know, um, I don't mean to like sit up here and like preach to anyone. Um, I'm just trying to share my own personal experience. And this is just where it's brought me thus far. You know, uh, I don't mean to like be quoting stuff uh, just for the sake of quoting stuff. I try to do it because that's, that's what was presented to me. And that's uh, me trying to show that I was, I'm, I'm living this program. You know what I mean? Um, I was told that it's one thing to know the program and it's another thing to live it. And I try and do that on a day-to-day -day basis. And when I first got here, um, like I said, I was told that I was fucked on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so as long as every day I can get a little bit less fucked, I'm doing okay. You know, if I wake up and I'm a little bit less of an asshole today than I was yesterday, then I'm doing okay. You know, am I allowing God to work in my life? Am I allowing those character defects uh, to be in my higher power's hands? And am I allowing those, uh, you know, to lead me on a daily basis? Where is my self-will in all of the situations still? Um, I always tell everyone there's only two directions in recovery. It's either you're growing or you're dying. And I've died for long enough, you know. Um, when I first came uh, into the rooms, I did it so that I didn't die. You know, I started working these steps so I didn't die. But now I actually do it so that I can live. And there's a really big difference in that. Because, I mean, I was in survival mode for such a long time. And I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you can relate to that. Because when you're out there and you're using, you literally are just surviving. You're not actually living. You feel dead on the inside. That spiritual death that it talks about just takes you over. Um, so, I mean, the fact that I can actually live today, that I actually have a life today, that I have people who trust me. I mean, I wasn't allowed at my parents' house for a very long time. I have keys to their house today. They trust me when they leave to be able to like take care of their plants and shit. You know what I mean? I can't even take care of my own plants. You know what I mean? Like uh, I have friends who actually trust me today. I have friends who I trust that are actually my friends and not just using me for what I have and what I can get. You know, I'm able to actually work for things today rather than having to find the easy way out, like selling myself, you know, um, unless I so choose. Anyway. <laughs> um, if you're new or you're fairly new, or if you're not new at all, and this is just your you know, multiple time around, you know, welcome. I totally get it. I've been there too. You know, that feeling of, of uselessness and self-pity, you know, I, I totally understand that feeling, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. You know, you do the work, you get the results. That's what I was promised from the very beginning. Those nine step promises. When I first heard them at a meeting, I thought that that person was full of shit, you know, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Fuck you you know, but I mean, actually being able to like, look at those things, go through that list and say, all of these things are coming true in my life. That's the biggest blessing of the program to be able to read through the entire first 164 pages of the big book and understand that every one of those promises in there is in my life today is the most mind blowing experience of my life. You know, I do have some material things today that I didn't have at the beginning. Like I do have a place to call my own. I do have a car. I do have those family relationships, but really at the end of the day, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is the fact that I can look myself in the eye today and be okay with that, that I can go to bed and know that I'm not going to wake up the next morning kicking, feeling like shit. I know that when I wake up, I don't have to look madly for, uh, for the bag that I placed somewhere the night before, you know? Um, I wish I could tell you that that ego that I came in here with is going away, you know, it is little by little, but it's never entirely gone, you know. Um, I like to take back these character defects on a day-to-day -day basis. It's always a wrestling match between me and my higher power. 
Um, but I mean, one of the best parts of this program is that we do claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be that epitome of perfection and a poster boy for, for any sort of 12 step recovery. You know, like I said, as long as I'm doing my best, I will get the results. So if, like I said, if you are new or fairly new, um, feel more than free to reach out, you know, closed mouth doesn't get fed. This is a, we program. Yes, we work this program selfishly, but we can't do it together. It takes a fucking village. And for me, I felt like the village idiot for a large portion of time, you know, because like people would come around me, they'd have all this experience in 12 step and how I'd be like, okay, like, how do you know all this stuff? How do you already know you like your third step prayer and your seventh step prayer? Like I barely know the fucking serenity prayer, you know what I mean? But uh, it, again, progress, not perfection. I'm super grateful for this opportunity to be able to speak to you guys tonight, because really, like I said, this is a big part of my own personal recovery to be able to come here and speak to you guys and be able to share my own personal experience, strength and hope. Again, that's where the real magic happens to be of service, to actually get out of myself for just a little bit. That's probably the best part. Um, I come with a phone number. Um, I'm more than willing to answer my phone. I keep weird hours. So like middle of the night, I don't care, you know, try not to call me like seven in the morning. I'm usually asleep by then. That's like my bedtime. But uh, if you're struggling, uh, need help, just need someone to talk to, um, I'm more than available. Uh, my name is JT. I'm a drug addict. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah.